Hello everybody, my name is Mike Leach, and uh, you are listening to A Little Literature? Sure. Thank you very much to my my buddy Brett from Oatana, who sent in that uh, sound clip of him saying sure, just there. Beautiful, uh, angelic um, tones, mellifluous. Uh, hey Siri, what does mellifluous mean? Mellifluous means of a voice or words, sweet or musical, pleasant to hear. That's right. Uh, excellent work, Brett. And if anybody else would like to uh, send me a recording of them saying sure, I will use it on the uh, podcast here. Um, I'd be happy to. I'd be very excited. Uh, to receive more of these. Um, you know, it just saves a little work. It saves me a little work. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I put... Uh, every time I, I say sure on this episode, on this podcast, I, I record myself saying it several times, and then I pile them on top of each other and post... And those uh, recording sessions sometimes last uh, three, four, sometimes through the night. Um, so to have somebody else do it for me is a is a, a weight off my shoulders, and I really appreciate it. I'm sitting here with uh, no shirt on. Um, I was wearing a black uh, Poly Eyes Pizza T-shirt. And then I decided I was going to sit down in my uh, my little um, circle chair. What do you call these chairs? Or it's like a it's like a bowl that you sit in. I got one of those chairs. That's where I record the podcast. Little inside uh, poop. Uh, and I thought, oh, there's cat hair all over this chair. I can't sit in with my black shirt. I'm just going to disrobe. And now I'm sitting here topless feel a little self-conscious I'm not a not a no shirt guy um, but I'll try not to let it cloud my uh, performance <laughs> okay we get emails emails we get emails we get sacks and sacks of emails emails this is uh we got a bunch of emails this week um, Brett sent me that sound clip. We got, uh, let's see. Oh, Mom Leach. Uh, Mom Leach writes, Don't choose a story from that person again. I think she's talking about, uh, the Joyce Carol Oates story last week. Very, uh, disturbing story. She says, don't choose a story from that person again. I don't like to feel bad. I don't like to keep bad stuff in my brain forever. Yeah, I can uh, see where you're coming from, Mom Leach. Um, still trying to... Having this inner debate after that story on uh, whether or not it's good to feel bad sometimes. To kind of live in that emotion um 
if it benefits us in some way. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The truth is probably uh, not so black and white. Somewhere in the middle. That sounded smart, right? I didn't know what I was saying, but it sounded like it did. Uh, let's see, Jared Griebel uh, writing back. Uh, subject line, demon perhaps? Hey Mike, thanks for reading Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been? by Joyce Carol Oates. See, we got a yay and a nay. Now, I have no idea what to do. Uh, he says, it's such a suspenseful story, huh? When I was in college, a professor taught us to read that story through a theological lens in which the character of Arnold Friend can actually be seen as the devil or as a demon. If you read it again, not ever reading it again, ugh, and uh, look at Arnold Friend as the devil, the story takes on a more insightful and terrifying aspect. And I think Oates puts a number of hints in the story that Arnold really could be a supernatural force of evil. Or maybe not, who knows. And that's the beauty of literature. Connie should have just called good old, just called him good old Buffy? Oh, should have just ca called good old Buffy. I think the, as in the Vampire Slayer. Uh, she'd have known, she's been, <laughs> this is not a good, this is not bode well for my, uh, my reading in a moment. I've, I already, uh, having multiple strokes as I read this. Uh, she'd been known to slay a few, she's been known to slay a few demons in her day. Loving the podcast, Jared. Oh, thank you, Jared. Yeah, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine about the story this week, and he, he mentioned the, the fact that Arnold Friend, uh, has a hard time, like, it looks like his, uh, boots are, uh, like he, he put some some weird like some lifts in his boots or something meant that maybe he he didn't have real feet in there they had like hooves um i didn't pick up on it at the time but yeah makes it a little bit more creepy um just yeah very unsettling um thank you jared for the uh insight uh, Sister-in-law Carly Leach writes, Oh, hi, Mike. Uh, I thought you might be interested to know that I live in an asbestos ranch house. What? Hasta luego, Carly. What? Now, what does that mean? Because they mentioned that in the story, and I just thought it sounded like a house made entirely of asbestos. Um, but I have visited... Carly's house, and I think it was, I believe it was made of uh, wood and stone. Um, brick, brick and mortar, um, and not uh, an entire uh, uh, structure of asbestos. But I may be wrong. Um, I don't have the most discerning eye when it comes to building materials. I'll admit it. Uh, hey Siri. Hey Siri. What is an asbestos ranch house? Oh, this is going to be bad. My web search turns something up for what is an asbestos ranch house. Oh, she got it. Okay. 
Asbestos. Okay. Does it mean that they must have... It's like asbestos in the attic? Is that what I'm seeing here? Asbestos. I just type in asbestos ranch house. Um, let's see. Asbestos ranch house. Where are you going? Where have you been? Popped up immediately. Um, is this 1954 ranch house? Is that asbestos? Bob Vila for him. Remember Bob Vila? Um, man knew how to tuck in a shirt. I'll tell you that. Uh, in process of purchase, purchasing new house, we looked into the attic and found a white and brown material that looks like it had been blown in through the attic as insulation. Any idea what this might be? We're having an inspection done prior to closing. Anything specific? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I'm bored. Alright. Uh, and finally, TJ Junso, uh responding to uh, Big Brother Danny Leach's email last week. Uh, he writes, subject line, Dan Leach, more like Dan Thief. Whoa! Uh, uh, TJ says, Dan, how could you steal Prince's ashes, let alone admitting to it on a podcast listened, listened to by five people? Abdul, Mom Leach, Australia, you, and myself. Speaking of which, I asked uh, Australian uh, listeners to email last week. I didn't, I didn't hear a peep. Maybe it's a time zone thing. Maybe maybe this podcast comes out like uh, two weeks later in Australia. I don't know. Something with the circadian rhythm. Uh, everyone, uh, is that a real? Th is that a, is that a circadian? That's where you like. That's your inner clock, isn't it? What's the thing where it's like the? It makes the toilet flush the opposite way. I almost asked Siri. That would have been a disaster. Uh, everyone knows that his ashes are not in the dove. That everyone are not in the dove. That everyone can see the real ashes are buried in the skull of Thomas Jefferson in Mount Rushmore. I'm glad you enjoyed the Minnesota. Maybe we should have a cup of coffee and find all the areas and politics we agree on instead of what we disagree on. But I'm sure that's too screwball of a concept for your numbskull ideology to appreciate. Whoa! To answer your question about having a special power, I want to thank you for asking. I really like that question. And I have a ranking of powers. Number one, I would like the ability of influence, where I can influence people to do what I wanted. Some would argue I already have this ability. I mean, have you met me? Number two, I'd like to have the powers of Magneto, but instead of metal, I can do the same thing with minerals. Uh, and number three, but most realistically, if I could, I would choose to be the greatest professional wrestler in the world. I feel like that's not even, uh, there's nothing supernatural required of that one. I feel like, TJ, you're already halfway there. Let's put a little uh, elbow grease in it. Um, 
How about you, Dan? What powers would you want? Have you seen the new Spider-Man? I think one of your offspring likes the Spider-Man, right? P.S. What's your favorite pizza topping? Oh, I love pizza. Uh, if I could have... I've thought a lot about this. If I could have any superpower, it would be um, not flight. Believe it or not, um, flight flight would be the most thrilling. But uh, I think the most useful would be to control time. You can you can freeze time. You can reverse time. You can speed it up. Um, if you want to take a little break and. Uh, uh, learn uh, how to play violin for a year. You just freeze time, go pick up a violin. That's all you gotta do. Sounds lovely. And flying, I think, would be amazing, but uh, after a couple of months, you'd be like, all right, I get it. You know, well, I guess I'll fly. Yeah. Uh, maybe I just take the, take the bus. I don't know, I think it would just uh, get a little old. Um, Superman, Superman's flying ability though, if you could fly into space, I think that'd be pretty, yeah, that would, it'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd take a lot longer for that to get old. Also, like in the movies where Superman just had to hold somebody's hand and they would be flying with him next to him, that sounds kind of nice to bring a friend to work. Um, okay, how much, is that like a half hour? Is the podcast over? I gotta close the thing. Emails, we get emails, we get sacks and sacks of emails, emails. I used to, when I used to use my old microphone, I would have it hooked into the computer so I could listen to the backing track of that emails song. Uh, and sing along with it. Now I'm just on this little handheld thing. And so I have to just kind of remember how fast that song went and the pitch of it and everything. So it doesn't line up perfectly like it used to, and I apologize for that. I would notice that if I were a listener. A little OCD about that sort of thing. Uh, my apologies. This week, I'm finally... Uh, caving to Brett from Owatonna's request that I read a story by Patrick F. McManus, an author I knew nothing about um, and still barely know anything about. Full name Patrick Francis McManus, born August 25th, 1933, is an American humor writer who primarily writes about the outdoors. A humor columnist for Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, and other magazines, his columns and stories have been collected in several books, beginning with A Fine and Pleasant Misery, up through The Horse in My Garage, and other stories. Um, picture here. It's like a snazzily dressed old man. Got like a, a turtleneck with a blazer over it. Um... I see here his wife, uh, his wife is named Bun. That's kind of fun. Um, alright. Poof, No Eyebrows by Patrick F. McManus. Just as I was assembling the ingredients for a small snack in the kitchen, the doorbell rang. 
My wife, Bun, went to answer it, and I heard her invite in Milt Slapshot, a neighbor who often seeks out my advice on matters pertaining to the sporting life. Is Pat home? I heard Milt ask. A fella told me he knows something about muzzle loading. Realizing Bun could never resist a straight line like that, I jumped up and headed for the living room in the hope of stifling her. Does he ever, she said, chortling. Why, this very minute he's out in the kitchen loading his muzzle. A wife who chortles is an irritation, but one who also regards herself as a wit is a social nuisance. I grabbed Milt by the arm and guided him toward the den before Bun could embarrass the poor fellow further with an, another attempt at emulating Irma Bombeck. Hey Siri? Who's Irma Bombeck? Okay, I found this on the web for who is Irma Bombeck. Take a look. Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop started in 2000 at the University of Dayton. Um, humorist, journalist, columnist Irma Bombeck found the funny in the everyday experiences of being a wife and mother. Sounds great. Uh, stop the cackling, Milt, I told him. It only encourages her. Once his tasteless display of mirth had subsided, Milt explained that he was building a muzzle loader and needed some technical advice from me. A mutual acquaintance, one wretch Sweeney, had told him that I had once conducted extensive scientific research on primitive firearms. That was true. In fact, it would be difficult to find firearms more primitive than those utilized in my research. You've come to the right man, I said. Yes, indeed. Now the first thing I need to know is, are you building it from a kit or from scratch? A kit, Milt said. Good, I said. Building muzzle loaders from scratch is a risky business, particularly when you work your way up to sewer pipe too soon. Now the first thing. Sewer pipe? Milt asked. What do you mean, sewer pipe? Are you sure you know something about black powder? Uh, ha! I replied. Do you see my eyebrows? No. Well, that should answer your question. All us experts on black powder have bald eyes. Actually, I do have eyebrows, but they are pale, sickly fellows, never having recovered from the shock of instant immolation 30 years ago. Having my eyebrows catch fire ranks as one of the more interesting experiences of my life, although I must say I didn't enjoy it much at the time. Indeed, my somewhat faulty eyesight may be a direct result of having my eyebrows go up in smoke. Either it was that or the splash of orange crushed soda pop with which my sidekick, Wretch Sweeney, ever quickly to compound a cat catastrophe, doused the flames. As I explained to Milt, who had settled into a chair in the den and was attempting with some success to conceal his fascination, most of my early research into the mysteries of black powder took place during the year I was 14. Some of those experiences produced spectacular results, particularly the last one, which enabled Wretch and me to attend the annual Hall Halloween party as twin cinders. Reminds me of uh, back when I was 14. Mom Leach, maybe you should turn off the podcast at this point. Uh, my, uh, my buddy Rob Huber and I, we kind of went through a little... Uh, uh, pyromaniac 
phase where uh, we would just um, go in Rob's garage and we would like spray a bunch of WD-40 on the ground and light it or uh, we would like spray the can of WD-40 at the fire and then lift the can up while it was still spraying and the fire would be burning at the end. It was a little dangerous, stupid, uh, but it was cool. Uh, the first experiment, Mom Leach, you can turn, well, you're not hearing, if you turn it off, you don't hear, you're not hearing this. The first experiment in which my eyebrows were sacrificed to the cause of science consisted of placing a small pile of black powder on a bicycle seat and touching a lighted match to it. I can no longer recall why a bicycle seat was employed as part of the apparatus, but I am sure my co-researcher and I had sound reasons for it at the time. Remember, Rob and I, we, uh, one day we, uh, forgot to close the, um, garage door, and Matt Stensrud's mom, uh, pulled into the driveway looking for Matt, and Rob and I were, like, frantically trying to stamp out this fire, (laughs) and, and, uh, explain when we were just like oh yeah we don't know where matt is uh uh lucia and the ground is on fire and she just looked horrified um made a mental note not to let us hang out with her son ever again uh let's see i can no longer recall why a bicycle seat was employed as part of the apparatus but i'm sure my co-researcher and i had sound reasons for it at the time In any case, we proved conclusively that a match flame serves as an excellent catalyst on gunpowder. I later concluded that the experiment might have been improved upon in only two ways, to have placed the powder on Wretch's bicycle seat and to have let him hold the match. That's smart. Indeed, he chose to stand in awe of the experiment and about ten feet away, sucking absently on a bottle of orange crush. On the other hand, my sacrifice was not without its reward, since bald eyes and a hole burnt into my bicycle seat made great conversation openers with girls at school. The success of the experiment had to be withheld from the rest of the scientific community for fear our parents would find out about it. Unfortunately, my mother inadvertently discovered the secret. Is anything the matter? Mom asked during supper the evening after the bicycle seat experiment. No, I replied casually. Why do you ask? Oh, nothing in particular, she said. It just seems a little odd. You're wearing sunglasses and a cap at the dinner table. She then expressed her desire that I remove both glasses and cap instantly, sooner if possible. After some debate over the finer points of dinner table propriety, I complied. As expected, Mom responded with the classic question favored by the parents of young black powder experimenters everywhere. What happened to your eyebrows? That was all in caps. Looking surprised and fingering the scorched area above my eyes, I tried to convey the impression that it was news to me that my eyebrows were missing, as if they might have dropped off unnoticed or been mislaid at school. The truth was soon extracted from me with an efficiency that would have been the envy of medieval counterintelligence agents. This was followed by a bit of parental advice, but scarcely had this parental advice ceased reverberating among the rafters 
than I was already plotting my next experiments for unlocking the mysteries of black powder. The discovery by Wretch and me that we could pur purchase black powder in bulk from a local dealer was to have great impact on our lives, not to mention various parts of our anatomies. The dealer in question was the proprietor of Grogan's War Surplus, Hardware and Gun Emporium. None other than that old reprobate... Hey, Siri? What does reprobate mean? As a noun, it means an unprincipled person, often used humorously or affectionately. Should I continue? No! That old reprobate, Henry P. Grogan himself. We weren't at all sure Grogan would sell a couple of scruffy, goof-off kids something as potentially dangerous as black powder. Our first attempt at making a purchase was, therefore, cloaked in subtlety and subterfuge. Howdy, Mr. Grogan, we opened with. Both of us so casual, we were fit to burst. Howdy, boys, what can I do for you? Assuming, of course, you got cash in your pockets and ain't just here to finger the merchandise. Oh, we got cash, I said. Uh, wretch, why don't you read Mr. Grogan our list? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, uh, here goes. One GI mess kit, one helmet liner a parachute harness, a pound of black powder, and let's see, now do you have any of those neat camouflage jackets left? To our chagrin, a look of concern came into Grogan's eyes. Gosh, boys, I don't know if I should. Just don't seem right to sell you two young fellows. Wow, what the heck. Elmer Peabody wanted me to save those last two camouflage jackets for him, but I'll let you have them. Now, how much gunpowder was that you wanted? A pound? In all fairness to Grogan, I must admit that he did warn us that severe bodily harm could result from improper use of the black powder. His exact words, if I remember correctly, were, You boys set off any of that stuff near my store and I'll peel your hides. The black powder we bought from Grogan had been compressed by the manufacturer into shiny black pellets a form intended, I believe, to make it less volatile. Even before sma mashing them into powder, we found it was possible to touch off the pellets. I feel like I'm, uh, I was expecting to be all uh, stuttery today, but so far so good. I'd hate to toot my own horn, although I would if I could. Ah, um, yeah, going a lot better than I, maybe it's the no shirt. Maybe I just feel free for the first time in my life, and everything's flowing. Uh, even before mashing them into powder, we found it was possible to touch off the pellets if they were first piled on a bicycle seat and a match held to them. The pellets did not ignite immediately, even then, apparently for the purpose of tricking the person holding the match into a, taking a closer look at what was occurring on the bicycle seat. Then, poof, no eyebrows. Hey. Our first muzzle loaders were small and crude, but as our technological skill and knowledge increased, they gradually became large and crude. 
we never did develop a satisfactory triggering mechanism. On the average shot, you could eat a sandwich between the time the trigger was pulled and the gun discharged. One time, uh, there's a little campfire. Again, Mom Leach, if you've, uh, if you've returned to the podcast by now, maybe uh, shut the volume off again. I was at a little campfire uh, at Brian Dahl's house outside uh, Madison Lake. He had, a, he had a little fire pit in his backyard. And I believe Mike, Mike Swenson threw a bottle of hairspray into the fire. And we all, of course, uh, jumped up from our seats and ran, ran for cover. But uh, nothing happened, and like a few minutes passed, and uh, and we all just thought, oh, it must have been a dud. Um, so we all returned to our seats and continued the conversation. Maybe like a half hour later, this <laughs> giant explosion. None of us were ready for. Um, no casualties, um, but it was a. Uh, very stupid thing that uh, Mike Swenson did. He did a couple stupid things. He threw a full full can of uh, Mountain Dew at uh, Sean Davis's car windshield once. Had kind of a hair trigger, that guy. Love him to death, though. Uh, our first muzzle loaders were small and crude, but as our technologicals... Oh, I already read that. On the average chat, you could do a little... Typical muzzle loader test would go something like this. Wretch. Okay, I'm going to squeeze, squeeze the trigger now. There. Muzzle loader. Snick. Pop. Me. Good. It looks like it's working. Better start aiming at the tin can. Muzzle loader. Wretch. Say, give me a bit of that sandwich, will ya? Me. Sure. Muzzle loader. Sput. Sisput. Wretch. What time is it? Me. About time for me to muzzleloader. Sist. Pooped. Wretch. Enveloped in cloud of smoke. How was my aim? Me. I think it was pretty good, but the muzzle velocity leaves something to be desired. As soon as the smoke clears, reach over and pick up the ball and we'll load her up again. Even as we increased the range of our muzzleloaders, the delay in the firing mechanism discouraged us from using them on game. If we had used one of them for rabbit hunting, say, we would have had to squeeze the trigger and then hope a rabbit would happen to be running by when the gun discharged. Squeezing the trigger before your game appears, squeezing the trigger before your game appears over the far horizon is the ultimate in leading a moving target. Since we had up to three minutes of lead time on stationary targets, hunting with our muzzle loaders seemed somewhat impractical. There was also the probable embarrassment of having our shots bounce off the game. It didn't seem worth the risk. A hunter can stand only so much humiliation. Our first muzzleloader was a small caliber derringer, the ammunition for which consisted mostly of dried peas. This prompted Wretch to remark derisively to a tin can target, All right, Ringo, drop your iron or I'll fill you full of dried peas. Okay, okay, I said. I get your drift. We'll move up to the hard stuff. Marbles, ball bearings, golf balls. It was a mistake, though, and I knew it. Once you start escalating, there's no stopping until you achieve the ultimate weapon. Within a couple of months, we were turning our muzzle loaders into the 80 caliber range. Then we went into the large caliber stuff. 
Finally, we decided the time had come to stop monkeying around with black powder pistols and rifles. We'd had some close calls. We had reached the point where there was some doubt in our minds whether we might be firing a muzzle loader or touching off a bomb. Thus it was with considerable relief that we abandoned our clandestine clandestine manufacturer and testing of pistols and rifles. After all, a cannon would, would be much safer. We didn't have to hold it. The cannon was constructed of sewer pipe, 2x4s, baby carriage wheels, rubber inner tube bands, a clothespin, bailing wire, and various other odds and ends, all of which, blending into a single symmetrical unity, neared perfection on the scale of beauty. A croquet ball was commandeered from the Sweeney backyard for use as shot. In our enthusiasm of the moment, it was thought the croquet ball could be returned to the set after it was recovered from the firing range. Alas, it was not to be so. Attired in our muskrat skin hats, which we had sewn up ourselves, we mounted our bicycles and, with cannon in tow, set off for the local golf course, where a fairway would serve as a firing range, a putting green as a target. As we had hoped, the golf course turned out to be deserted. We quickly wheeled the cannon into firing position and began the loading procedure. Think that's enough powder? Wretch asked. Better dump in some more, I advised. That croquet ball is pretty heavy. And there's, and there's some for good measure, Wretch said. The croquet ball fit a little too tightly, but we managed to ram it down the barrel. Then we both took up positions alongside the cannon to witness the rare and wonderful spectacle of a sewer pipe firing a croquet ball down a golf course fairway. Ready, aim, fire, I commanded. Wretch tripped the firing mechanism. Eventually, the thunder was replaced by clanging bells inside our heads. The shattering, shattered pieces of earth and sky fell back into place, and the wobbly world righted itself. Wretch and I limped over to the side of a utility shed and sat down to relax a bit and collect our senses. Presently, a deputy sheriff drove up. He stood for a moment gazing at the haze of smoke wafting gently over the golf course, the patch of smoldering turf ringed by fragments of sewer pipe, baby, carriages, baby carriage wheels, and pieces of two-by-four. Then, hoisting up his gun belt, he sauntered over to us. You boys know anything about an explosion out this way, he asked. What kind of explosion, Wretch asked. A big explosion. I was still so stunned I couldn't even think up a good lie. Anyway, I knew the deputy had us cold. Now, what I want to know, the deputy went on, is why are you two boys sitting out here behind this shed smoking? Shucks, I said, if you'd been a little earlier, you'd have seen us while we were still on fire. I thought for sure he was going to haul us off to jail, but instead he just smiled, took one last look at the smoldering debris, and then started to saunter back to his car. Well, if you fellas turn up any information about the explosion, he said over his shoulder, I'd appreciate it if you'd let me know. I don't reckon there'll be another one, do you? Nope, Wretch and I said in unison. Then the deputy stopped and kicked gingerly at something on the ground in front of him. It was Wretch's muskrat hat. The deputy turned and gave us a sympathetic look. Too bad about your dog, he said. The cannon pretty well quelled our enthusiasm for building our own muzzle loaders from scratch. 
not only had it made a big impression on us, it had made numerous small impressions. Years later, while I was undergoing a physical examination, the doctor commented on some bumps under my skin. Pay them no mind, Doc, I told him. They're just pieces of sewer pipe. At this juncture of my recitation, 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 Milt Slapshot jumped up and headed for the door. Thanks, he said. You've answered my question. Gee, I said, I've been for, I've even forgotten what the question was. But if you need any help putting your muzzle loader kit together, Milt, just give me a call. He hasn't called yet. <laughs> I suppose he's been tied up at the office a lot lately. Well, that was delightful. Thank you, Brett, for the uh, recommendation. Um, I like this uh, McManus fella. Um, very, uh, I like how he the the humor was all very dry. He played it pretty straight. Um, uh, I liked his word choices. Um, I, I, the, I, I just liked how it reminded me of um, doing stupid stuff with my friends when I was younger. Um, what a what a pleasant, uh, funny little story. Uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Um, send me more uh, recommendations. Let this be a lesson. Um, if you send me something, I will read it eventually took me a while sorry about that Brett but I'm glad I got around to it um, I'm still shirtless um, but I'm probably gonna do something about that here pretty soon um, might be uh, might be shower time maybe uh, do a couple of push-ups I gotta film uh, a music video um, where I'm, uh, again, shirtless and flexing um, various muscles. You guys will see it soon. Uh, I'm in a band called Pumpkin Guts. Um, we have a few music videos on YouTube. Feel free to check them out. But we have a, a brand new uh, song. Very excited about It's like four years in the making. We're not the most productive band. Uh... But uh, the music video is, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but there will be a lot of muscles in it. Um, what was I talking about? Literature? I'm Mike Leach, and uh, this has been a little literature. Take it away, Brett. Sure. Sure.